Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, May 20th. Derek Van Riper here at the Eno Saris. Episode 2 of the week. Only Friday episode so far of the year. I think we're going to get a cover all this year. I think we're going to get every day between now and the end of the year. Because we did a Sunday one back in April before you went on vacation. I'm sure due to breaking news or winter meeting stuff, playoffs, there's going to be a Saturday episode of Rates and Barrels that gets mixed in at some point. And we'll we'll get to all seven days, which will be a new thing for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you're on the wrong side. What are you doing over there? It is weird to be on the right side. Should I, should I switch it? <laughs> ah. Oh, that's much better. I feel much better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel more normal because... Looking to the right side of my screen is where you normally are. <laughs> yeah. like, wait, where, where did he go? We're creatures of habit, that is for sure. Uh, on this episode, we're going to discuss a few potential breakouts. If you listen to the 3.0 show uh, earlier in the day on Friday, we found a few interesting names that were really more fantasy names for the most part. The core of that conversation was about Jess Chisholm Jr. and some of the changes he's made this season. Uh, but a few names that are bouncing around out there in deeper leagues, easy players to get via trade, where they're already rostered. We'll talk about them and whether or not there's actually something there. Hitters and pitchers, plus the cards have decided to bring up Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor. We're going to bring back prospect of the week, uh, not necessarily to spotlight those two guys, but to talk about some other prospects. And we'll talk about a few mailbag questions that came in, including a follow-up about X-Stats, which we talked a lot about on the show being limited in their value right now because they've not been calibrated for this season. But there may still be a way to make them somewhat useful, even if they're not as useful as they would ordinarily be. So we begin with the breakouts up at the top. Some guys that have taken big steps forward so far. We're going to start with two on the IL, which is always really helpful. Uh, both Josh Naylor and Manuel Margot, kind of more in the better late than never category, even more so for Margot, given that he's a few years older than Naylor. But I think two players that, to some degree, that we've liked for a few years, we've wondered if there is just one more level they can reach. I think the problem with both players, aside from being on the IL right now, we're still dealing with a limited amount of playing time that's small enough to where one great game can change the way your whole season looks and one bad week could still change the way your entire season looks. All that to say, like I'm encouraged by what both of these players are doing. And of the two, I actually think Naylor's changes are more convincing and potentially more sustainable for this new level of output going forward once he gets back from the IL. As opposed to Margot? Margot looks more similar to how he's looked in the past by comparison. Uh, right. Except that there's this interesting thing going on, which is that the game, the ball, the situation around them is changing. <laughs> and I wrote a piece today about how the, uh, the, the ball is now rewarding line drive hitters more than it's rewarding home run hitters. And you know, if you look at launch angles, there's there's kind of two distinct pairings or like groupings or areas of launch angle. Zero to sixteen degrees is your more line drive uh, launch angles. Those don't go for homers almost ever. I, I say almost only because of Giancarlo Stanton. He exists. And then 16 to 32 is where you get uh, more of your doubles, fly balls, and homers. Um, and the problem with the ball not going out of the park is that 16 to 32 is being devalued versus zero to 16. So I had a piece up today 
and uh, Margot has always been more of a line drive hitter, not necessarily uh, you know a big homer hitter. And uh, this year he is uh, one of the players that has adjusted and hit more line drives year over year um, than anybody else. So if you do just a straight ranking of line drive hitters this year, you'll hear a lot of really excellent hitters and one that deserves uh, mention. So I'm just going to do the the top 15 real quick. Austin Meadows, I mean, it's you got zero homers, and that's not good. So I'm not going to say that you're happy with your Austin Meadows purchase. But uh, at the same time, he's hitting for a great batting average for him. Uh, and there's some other things that might be that might might look good under the hood. Ty France is second. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, I think that was an adjustment to the new park dimensions because Austin Hayes had made that that same adjustment. Alec Baum, hey, that's working out for him. Uh, Carlos Correa was white hot before he got hurt. JTL Real Muto, not great season, but he's a consistent line drive hitter. Jorge Polanco, Manny Margot uh, in the top 10. John Zagura, Santiago Espinal, uh, Bo Bichette, not a great season. And then Cole Calhoun uh, and Ryan McMahon and Brandon Marsh round out the top 15. Uh, You know, Brandon Marsh is overperforming his BABIP a little bit. But if he's a line drive hitter, maybe he's not going to hit you 30 homers, even though he looks like a kind of a homer hitter. Maybe he's more of a guy a little bit like Jason Worth used to be because he does look like Jason Worth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Maybe he's more of like a 20 homer, 15 steal guy. Um, And so maybe more of his batting average is is sustainable than we think. Cole Calhoun has made some adjustments to the plate. He's put his feet closer together, um, and that's allowed him to kind of not kind of pull off and have this really steep attack angle. Um, And we've seen him kind of rebound in the last couple of weeks. Um, And Espinal, I think, is uh, a little bit of a mini breakout player. I like him. So, um, you know... Margot being on this list, I think, is a little bit of, you know, him doing what he usually does, maybe a little bit more, um, and then the league kind of coming around and rewarding that type of player a little more than it used to. Thinking about the way line drives might be tallied versus something like hard hit rate where you're just Uh looking at it. I did this by StatCast. 95 plus. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to be careful what line drive rate, what number you're looking at, because the difference between a fly ball and a line drive when it's tallied manually that can be a a bit of a fuzzy line yeah yeah and um i haven't seen as much research as in this i know that the stickiness of line drive rate as assigned by human being is poor but the problem is that there's a lot of you know what happens when it's a hit it's a line drive (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you, you look at it and you're just, your brain does that to you. You're like, oh yeah, that was a line drive. It's, it is a really difficult thing to do without the numbers. And I suggest anybody who's listening to just watch a game. And you know, if you're, if you're at a game with somebody and you're looking for something to do, just debate if a pit hit was a line drive, <laughs> you know, especially if it was, uh, if it was an out, you, you'll find, I think better, uh, you'll find very different, uh, sort of looks at what is a line drive or not. This one at least had the benefit of being a very clean statistical definition, zero to 16 degrees. I didn't even add in an exit velocity component because I was only asking about, are they hitting it in the right angles? Um, And so, 
yes, it's better if you hit it hard in those angles. Uh, but if you don't hit the ball hard in today's league, you're not getting playing time. <laughs> oh, I was looking at the hard hit leaderboard for StatCast before we started recording, and I flipped it upside down because oh gosh, I was looking for Victor Robles. No, I, I, I was looking for players like Victor Robles just to find out who who's getting duped right now. Yeah, who, who's really going to fool everybody into thinking they're good but prove that they're not. The player that I'm really surprised to see as low as he is is Dylan Carlson. Among qualified hitters, Dylan Carlson has the second lowest hard hit rate across all of Major League Baseball. Only Tony Kemp is lower. Tony Kemp's got a 12.2% hard hit rate. Dylan Carlson, 19.2%. Other guys near him, Miles Straw, Nicky Lopez, Ozzy Albies, interesting that he's on there. Uh, Kike Hernandez, Marcus Simeon, a little troubling to see him down there at this point. Uh, Harrison Bader, Colton Wong, and Jesse Winker rounding out the bottom 10 right now. But to see Dylan Carlson down there, that's another another couple of rocks in the backpack, so to speak, of oh, got Dylan Carlson on my team. And it's another thing that he's not doing. Like, it would, why do I keep carrying this guy in my roster? And I, I I'm not finding a lot to to believe in right now. This this to me, Dylan Carlson to me looks more like a sell low player than a lot of other young players do. At this stage of, of their career, we talked about it more from a, a, a season long, like a redraft situation on the last episode. But if you're in a keeper league or a dynasty league, yeah, it, you're, you're selling at a relative low point for Dylan Carlson. But I still think you'd find more willing buyers right now than you might three months from now if what is happening right now kind of holds throughout the summer. Uh. I it's so it's just concerning. It just it seems to have gone the wrong way. And it is interesting put in the you know, the context of the conversation we had at the 3-0 show where I was mostly uh upbeat about the fact that the Cardinals are making a lot of uh, contact, right? Mm-hmm. But Carlson kind of like took that too far. Like you know, like you can't you cannot sell out for content above all. You know, you just can't do that. And there's very little in the profile right now that I like, which is upsetting because visually and just sort of, I like the all fields power and I liked the approach before. So I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's a player that I'm, that I've fallen on fallen. You know what I mean? Like there's, I don't know if there's a player who has fallen more in my esteem in dynasty leagues than Dylan Carlson this year. I thought about it from the redraft context back during the outfield preview. We talked about Jared Kelnick versus Carlson at the time. There at least was a, he hits the ball hard, though. He has he's hit balls like 115, you know? <laughs> like Yeah, there was a, a pretty big price gap for redraft leagues. It was a few rounds, and I thought straight up I wanted Carlson over Kelnick. And sure, Carlson's still with the big league clubs, still collecting playing time. So maybe for now, that's the, the right side to be on. But from a long-term perspective... That's the other question. If you're in a keeper or a dynasty league and you've got a chance to go get one of these guys as a buy low, are you more likely to make a move for Kelnick or are you more likely to make a move for Carlson? <laughs> I'm going to do Kelnick because I just think that the price of playing in the big leagues is bad at ball quality. You know, maybe that's changing, but you, you, just because it's been cold and the humidors and all that stuff, I'm not going to change the fact that I still value hitting the ball hard. Kelly has a 10% bail rate, has hit the ball 114 this year, 
and has good contact rates in the minors. Like there is definitely a version of this where he comes out on top. You know, it, you know, it's only been 473 plate appearances. He's lost, but at least he hits the ball hard. Carlson seems lost, and he's also not hitting the ball hard. <laughs> you know? So uh, I know that he's he's making more contact, and that's that's something to be valued. But 105 max EV, three percent barrel rate. It's weird. It's lower. I mean, it's lower than everything we've seen from him in the previous seasons he's been in the big leagues. And it's all going the wrong direction. He barreled a little yeah. bit, and then in the in his in his debut, and then he barreled a little bit less, and now he's not even he's not barreling at all. I have wondered if we're going to see a demotion at some point in the near future for Carlson. If they would maybe bring up Lars Newtbar and play Newtbar more just for a few weeks. Well, I mean, there's some danger because so Gorman is up. I don't. I, I think I'm zooming to some section of the. It's I mean, fine. Well, so I mean, <laughs> we're talking about the Cardinals. Gorman is up, and I don't think he's going to have a great uh debut personally because he uh struck out what is it 34 percent of the time in triple a and i just I, I just think that that kind of a profile is going to be uh, kind of be tough like think about it kalnick struck out like 20 percent of the time in triple a and comes up and strikes out 30 percent in the major leagues <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? like what's the 34 percent guy gonna do so I, I think he'll he'll struggle, and my my personal sort of read on it is he's going to be up while uh, while Tyler Neal is down. So then Tyler Neal comes back, and I think Gorman goes back down, um, and then you've got a full outfield again. I guess the 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 person that probably and and it's not like Newtbar is really raking in in AAA right now. Um, so I think that the most likely situation is Yepes starts either pushing Dickerson off the roster, which is, I think, already happening a little bit, or he starts uh, he starts pushing for an outfield job, which, you know, he's playing the outfield too. So then it'll be O'Neal versus Carlson when he comes back. And o- O'Neal is hitting the ball hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not making much contact, but he's hitting the ball hard. So, um, yeah, it's possible. It's possible he goes down. It's probable that Gorman goes down. It's possible that he goes down. I did like, uh, just to finish off the Cardinals conversation maybe a little bit, um, Matthew Libertor is up, and, uh, you know, we actually had minor league stuff plus numbers on him. He has a 91 stuff plus on the sinker, so it's not, uh, or the four seam, whatever it's called, uh, the fastball. So it's not, like, he. I don't think he's like a, he's not like a Shane Boz, you know, he's not like a, a guy that I'm like, oh, yeah. Just roster him for the minute he gets going. He's going to be a top 10 guy. I'm all in. He's more like a guy where I'm like, hey, I like the 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 park. I like the defense behind him. I probably like the matchups. So a little bit more of a matchups play. But all that stuff other than his fastball, like his secondaries, his command, his park, his defense, those are all really good. So I'm not, I'm not going to talk smack on him. And with Dakota Hudson... Maybe finally coming back to Earth. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I I will always predict his demise and and never get it. Um, uh, and Jack Flaherty coming back, I could see Libertor actually pushing his way into a rotation spot, even with Flaherty back. Yeah, I wonder if we're gonna end up with a kind of an Ian Anderson sort of situation with Libertor. He just comes up and stuff's a little underwhelming in in the model, but it 
works and part of the reason why it works is because of the park and the defense behind him and Mm -hmm. the command really being potentially above average i think it's at least good command right now we've seen pretty good walk rates ever since a ball for libertor so not a lot to worry about there Uh, lots of good matchups that's the that's the key for me there's gonna be so many times you look at who he's got on the schedule and you're gonna lean more toward using him than not using him at least in 15 team leagues I think he's rosterable in, in more shallow formats. We'll get into that a bit on the Fantasy Baseball podcast later today when we've got the, oh. the waiver stuff. But I, I'm in on Libertor, generally speaking. I think this can work because of the circumstances around him being very favorable. Thank God for this stat. Dakota Hudson is a 417 year array away from home. It's just a 234 at home. <laughs> That'll play. <laughs> That'll play. You know, you idiot. it's fun to see the cardinals bringing these guys up more prospects coming very soon i think so uh, we've got that to look forward to looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free hey frank a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct tv what's the little birdie was it jimmy the sparrow it's a figure of speech point is you can stream direct tv over the internet now oh sure next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people right <laughs> you mean airplanes stream direct tv without a satellite dish visit directtv.com high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply before we dig into some of the pitching breakouts that might be in progress, we've got a couple more hitters we're going to get to. I'm intrigued by Willie Castro, you know, and I think part of the reason why I'm intrigued by Willie Castro is because batting average right now is pretty valuable. If a guy comes up and he's going to hit 270 or 280 potentially, that can be a massive boost to what is an often overlooked category and a category where everybody seems to be struggling right now a good batting average for a fantasy team right now is what 235 240 it's it's competitive in a lot of leagues so if you bring in a guy that plays a lot that can hit 270 or 280 really sitting 322 right now and he brings a little bit of power and speed the way willie castro does that could end up being a sneaky valuable pickup in part just because of that first category yeah, he's a he's another one of these sort of line drive hitters that may not hit you uh, more than you know five, six, seven homers the rest of the way. Uh, but he does look like he steals some bases. My question is, wh- where is he playing? Like, what's his what's his deal depth chart wise? Uh, is he replacing Badu? Yeah, Badu down at AAA right now. So I think that's been part of how the playing time has, has opened up for Willie Castro. All left field and center field. Mm-hmm. He's played pretty much every day since May 10th. One day off against the Orioles back on Sunday. Moving, moving up in the batting order. That's always a good sign. The question I have with Castro is where do we go with the hard hit rate? The early number is not good. It is in the sub-20% range, 17.3% mm. so far. We've seen decent max exit velo numbers from him in the past we've seen an acceptable barrel rate before it's 5.3 percent for his big league career as a whole 
but I think it's the fact that you get average in speed. That's more what I'm interested in Willie Castro for. Anything he gives you power-wise is a pleasant surprise. I think this is a little bit like... It's like chasing a player like Eli White in some ways. And you also have to figure out, okay, yeah, you get these cheap steals. How long do you get these cheap steals for and what else will it cost you? And I feel like it's going to cost you less in the other categories with Willie Castro than it will with Eli White getting that opportunity right now in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I look at Willie Castro, I get a little bit of a vibe off of one of the players that I highlighted today, Ben Gamble. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's like that 10 280-10-10 player, which looks... Uh, never sh- It never really pops when you're searching for something, right? You're like, oh, I need some, I need some power. Well, he's not going to show up on that. Oh, I need some steals. Well, he's not going to, you know, with one steal so far and projected for four steals in the bad X, he's probably not going to pop in that search, right? Um, but uh, if you're looking instead to, to, to tread water uh, in a lot of categories or replace someone like a Tyler O'Neill, where, you know, he's not going to do anything like Tyler O'Neill, but he might keep you your head above water until hopefully Tyler O'Neill comes back and does better. Yeah. So just one of those guys that's playing at a level that's quite a bit above what we saw a season ago, has some playing time right now, and might actually be able to make a a decent impact for us in some of our our deeper leagues. I want to talk about Paven Smith for a moment, too, because I was looking at the barrel rate risers year over year, and he was among the biggest movers in that category. Not really an exciting player. The slash line at 220-301-339 doesn't get doesn't get anything going for me really, but a 14.1% barrel rate. He's kept his hard hit rate above 40% going back to last season. As we know, this is a team that needs to find ways to put runs on the board. I think it's hard to find deep league players that can exceed expectations that don't take much in fab. But I think Paven Smith could quietly be that kind of player. It's so weird. He, he does all the process things that I like. And yet, none of the other stuff. And, and he doesn't. He doesn't have a track record. It's not like a, a guy who has a track record of power, who's doing all the things I like, and just hasn't started the power yet. That would be like okay, stamp of approval, right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But here's a guy who had, a, you know, a like a 175 ISO in Double A, uh, 130 ISOs in his first attempts at the big leagues. Like this is not a guy who has a lot of power right now. He has a great barrel rate. He has a great chase rate and he has a really good swing strike rate he should not be striking out 30 percent of the time he should be striking out 20 percent of the time and really those other stats suggest he should be walking 10 percent of the time striking out 20 percent of the time and have at least league average power which would change that bat x projection with league average power i think that changes him to a 260 330 420 player yeah it's a little bit like what he did last year, but with a little bit more power. So now you're talking about a guy who could hit 270, hit you 15 homers. I don't know. That's valuable. That plays, I mean, especially in mono leagues, if you're looking for a very gettable player showing some underlying skills growth in the face of the K rate being up. I think there's more to like than dislike. So if you're in one of those highly competitive, ultra deep leagues, I think you might be surprised at what Paven Smith could He's do interesting too because he also upped his ground ball rate that every this is a, a weird i'm gonna be watching this guy it's a weird it's a weird stat line he's one red hot week away from making it look very different and and for what it's worth walker 
had a lot of these things going on before, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about him uh, to death. He just called us the Christian Walker podcast. But uh, <laughs> since then, uh, he, now his his uh, his ISO is 250. His nine homers. Uh, he looks he looks primed to do this all season. Now I'm getting questions about Christian Walker versus Joey Votto, and you know he's kind of you know walking his way up the uh, the would you rather uh, uh, staircase. Would you rather Christian Walker, Rowdy Telez, or Joey Votto at this point? It's very tempting to say Walker above the rest of the group. I think Rowdy Rowdy's flaws are still pretty still clear. There. They're they're all still there. His opportunity has been better than most of us expected. I think a lot of us thought he would share more time with Keston Hira. Here has been more up and down and clearly on the small side of a platoon. Rowdy's at a 24.3% K rate. That's the highest he's been since 2019. The run production's been great so far, but it's a 236-307-496 line. It's a hey, hey. bit of a problem. 23% better than league average, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's just coming from that early power swell, though. Yeah, he's, he seems like maybe a little bit streaky, huh? I mean, he has these, like, you know, he had that two-homer game, and he had, in four games, he had four homers, and he has eight homers on the year. Right, I think the the thing that would lead me away from Walker and to Telez in this case might be Arizona's overall offense is a problem. Like the the run and RBI situation for Walker is probably a full step below what you're expecting from Rowdy. And Milwaukee is sixth in the big leagues in in runs scored. Like that's this would be the kind of thing that could drive them late into the postseason if they can sustain it. Right. I mean, the same problems I just described with Rowdy. We're talking about a 206, 294, 456 line for Christian Walker right. on a lesser team. Arizona is 23rd in runs scored. And the the problem here for me is Votto because his early season I, I direction no is a to... total puzzle. Yeah. Like, like for example, like, you know, I could do, we could do this, the thing be like, oh, chase, the chase rate, worst of his career. Well, it's Joey friggin' Votto. he he could decide tomorrow to make his chase rate 15 percent or 12 percent again and and he would he could do it i'm sure of it um so i don't know he's he's one of these guys that has seems to have utter control over his outcomes and his his process and uh, has done 80 million different things as a big leaguer and he could change it back to what he used to do tomorrow Votto's season to me is kind of like if you were watching Jacques Pepin cook a duck and he burned the duck, you'd be like, what? What is happening right now? What? Jacques Pepin burned a duck? Like, that's <laughs> that's the vibe I get looking at this Votto season. Like, this doesn't, this doesn't work. This is a, a master of the craft. Like, 32% strikeout rate. His career is 18%. 26% re- uh, chase rate by uh, by one measure where it's 19 for his career, so... Yeah, that's just he's doing all sorts of weird ass stuff. If he would have played a full season last year, he would have hit a career high in home runs when he popped the 36 and 129. Yeah, the bold prediction for 40 has zero. Zero. Yeah, he said uh, my bold prediction for 40 wasn't even that bold. Oops. <laughs> At least I share that shame with him, right? <laughs> yeah, your next time you're, you interact with him is going to be oh, oh, pretty interesting. Oh, 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 not so bold, eh? <laughs> Bring him a bottle of hot sauce. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you would 
respond well to that. That might, uh, might, yeah. <laughs> might mess up the relationship a little bit, uh, but puzzling to, uh, to say the least, I would go rowdy, probably rowdy Walker Votto, but I'm not looking forward to that decision because I think there's more for Votto to bounce back to. We're seeing some signs of life from the Reds the last couple of weeks, too. They're not the complete doormat they were for most of April. They're starting to look more like the competent, below 500 team that many of us thought they would be going into the season. Let's go to the pitching breakouts. We talked about a few of these names on our last episode. Keegan Aiken and Steven Matz came up uh, last time we spoke. We talked about Eric Lauer and how the, the trade narrative for that deal that brought him from the Padres to the Brewers, how that's changed so much, but just a a massive adjustment for him going back to the second half of last season. I think the question that I have for you coming out of the the search I made was I was looking at K minus BB percentage improvers last year to this year. Shane McClanahan really pops. If we're drafting today for the rest of the season, how early does Shane McClanahan go? In a draft, I mean, the would you rather names that you'd throw out there against him are probably top ten, top fifteen starting pitchers. Somebody asked me in my in my chat about guys who are outside the top ten now who could you know be in the top five next year, and I said shame, and then I was like, wait, I think he might be in the top five now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know. I already had him like twelve going into the season, and I'm super happy with all my shares, but um, I do think the improvement on the shapes of it, especially of his fastball uh, makes me think that um i mean going into next season i think he's already a top 5 guy and i think we'll be past the point where we're significantly worried about the workload just from a pure management perspective like maybe there's still elevated health risk because of what he's dealt with over the course of his career but I think the Rays at some point take the the shackles off a little bit. I mean, we saw, you know, Tyler Glass now get the three, four inning treatment. And then at some point he, he got them. He was more of a traditional, you know, starter that goes longer. I'm not, not I'm not going to say he went nine, you know, but like he was just as he was on pace for kind of innings that you would have had from any other pitcher. Unfortunately, got hurt, but. Yeah, the uh, the other name that I think is interesting, because we've talked about him a handful of times, is Tarek Skubal. He's made some major skills changes in strikeout minus walks. I I mean it, it's it's not just the improved control, which was an improvement from his debut season. He came up in the pandemic short in 2020 season, but he also has slashed the home run rate, the hard contact. We talked about this a lot with Tarek Skubal. He was having all sorts of issues with barrels. By far the worst among qualified pitchers in terms of the type of hard contact he was allowing last season. So to see the home run rate down alongside the walk rate, this might be among the biggest improved profiles across all pitchers in the league so far this season. Yeah, I think it's mostly location because the stuff plus on his sinker and four seam are not very good. Uh, but the location on both is very good, and he's he's kind of pushed. The, he's been Sisyphus with these these fastballs uh, ever since he's been in the big leagues. He's pushed them both to above average. So I think now with the slider uh, and the sinker being above average, uh, the curveball uh, being decent, and the the changeup being a good. See what happens is the curveball he can place. The changeup uh, is best his best pitch for action. Right, so he's he's got uh, he's got an interesting mix where he's a sinker slider guy, I think at heart, 
Um, and that's something that we that baseball went away from. And so I think people, they asked him, hey, throw this four seam, throw this four seam. Everyone needs a four seam, four seam with ride, blah, 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 blah. And he finally got to a place where he can place it well, but he doesn't have good shape on it. He's still a sinker slider guy. The changeup has good action. The knuckle curve he can place well. So he has, you know, in terms of placing a pitch, he has a couple options. In terms of action, he has a couple options. So he he's not predictable. He's a multi-pitch guy who's really improved his command. His stuff isn't great, but I think people forget when they look at an overall stuff number like Scoobles, which is at 92 or 93, um, that the average for fast for uh, for a starting pitcher is only 96 97 so he's not like full-on bad stuff it's just around average stuff with a great home park a large arsenal and way better command this year and maybe there's a little bit of scooble doing a great job in a lot of easier matchups too if you look at the game log home against the white Sox, road against the royals home against the rockies road against the twins road against the astros the two probably tough ones um, road against oakland home against the orioles so five out of those seven starts were at least no worse than an average matchup difficulty and a few of those were were layups but he's making his layups and he's not beating himself with free passes uh, he's not having major issues with home runs. I think the Astros actually are the only team that even have a home run against them. The two home runs he allowed came in the same start. He has not allowed a home run in any of his other six starts so far this season. So I'm buying it. And I guess I would say if we're talking would you rathers for Scooble, I'm sure he moved up in your rankings the last time you released the list, but he'd probably move up again if you're pushing out another list in the next couple of weeks based on what we've seen over the last three or four starts. Yeah, for sure. He's, he's moving up in the world. Um, he's, uh, he, I think he's a little bit, he reminds me of Nestor Cortez hmm. where, you know, lots of, uh, lots of ways to disrupt the hitter's timing. Cortez a little bit more with the deception, but lots of pitches and in any given season, uh, their location can pop. I'm not sure that Scooble is like a big target for me in dynasty leagues. You know what I mean? Um, as more of a, of a like just think about Cortez like would Nestor Cortez be someone that you would trade a lot for in a dynasty league no but that might make me well because it wouldn't take a lot to get him I, I almost think you you have people willing to sell in in a trade move Nestor Cortez at what feels like a peak value but I wonder if collectively we're all just him. we're all just wrong and it makes sense to actually be in there and say no you know what maybe he's not this good for the next two years but he's better than people think you can get in trouble like that man you know i think you i think you can get in trouble like that i think sometimes you just have to have your method and just follow it for me the method says it, dynasty targets that i want right now uh are kyle wright uh and uh garrett whitlock um uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like young young pitchers. I'm looking at young pitchers that have crossed the 400 pitch threshold, uh, so that their pitching plus is 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 uh, more useful than the others. But those those are the two that stand out for me. Like I would definitely go get. I think even Tanner Houck right now, he's got a 111 stuff plus 97 location. He's in between the starting rotation and uh, and not. I still think this is a decent time to to go and buy him. So, 
Um, and then, you know, then there's the extreme version, which is Hunter Green, who has 124 stuff plus and 96 location plus, only 101 pitching plus because of his lack of command, of command on all of his pitches. Uh, I would I would think I would take even Hunter Green over Nestor Cortez or Tarek Skubal just because that's that stuff. If he just if literally he has to locate the fastball like four inches above where he does and he would be so much better. I just feel like that is easier than to tell Nestor Cortez. Could you literally just throw the ball four and a half miles an hour faster? <laughs> That's a bigger ask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, so I, I think I would still have even Hunter Green in a dynasty format. Now, in a this year format, now, you know, like I said, we've crossed the 400 threshold. So like Cortez, Scooble, like those guys are all, I think, well above, um, you know, like a Hunter Green, for example, or... Uh, a Tanner Hauk, yeah. Yeah, rest of season projections run through the auction calculator have Nestor Cortez at about 10 bucks. They've got him right there with Zach Gallen and Shane McClanahan. I think projections might be a little light on Shane McClanahan right now. I, I would... I'd be buying... I mean, I'd be buying Gallen at that price, too. I mean, I don't know. I, I, to me, Gallen is already top 15. Right. We've shown me everything. We've liked him for so long, and he's mm-hmm. showing everything that we thought he would have. Right, it's just it's the matter of, of health coming together for him too. I mean, I'm looking at like, the top to the top of that list right now. Top five based on rest of season projected dollar values, and I'm gonna throw out two guys that are hurt right now. Cole's one, Verlander's two, Carlos Rodon is three, mm-hmm. Aaron Nola is four, Zach mm-hmm. Wheeler is fifth, and then Corbin Burns comes in sixth. Shohei Otani comes in seventh. Woodruff, Cease, and Gossman round out the top ten. I'm glad Woodruff's still in the top ten, man. The the I got a lot of questions in the chat today about about him and I still believe if you he's had a couple bad starts with location the stuff has been there I think it's a a couple bad start situation. Do you think Sean Mania still a little bit undervalued? I know the the auction calculator was higher on him than the market going into the season, and that's still the case now. Looking at the rest of season numbers, I mean Sean Mania uh, just in the same cluster as Walker Bueller. Alec Manoa. I feel like if you're trying to trade for any of those three guys, Manaya is the easiest of the three to go get. Yeah, but again, right next to him in pitching plus is Tyler Miguel, who I would rather trade for in a dynasty thing, especially if I was looking towards the future uh, than Sean Manaya, because Miguel has the 108 stuff plus uh, to Sean Manaya's 93. So that's, I mean, that's, I just wanted to point out that's like, we're getting to the point in the season now where stuff plus, like, especially with someone who has 400 pitches, stuff plus matters a little bit less, right? Because location plus has stabilized and, and has, is starting to tell us more. So this is the point of the season where when I update the Google Doc, for example, I now sort by pitching plus. Big fan of the Google Doc, by the way. Love it. <laughs> Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The name we should throw out there as we kind of move on from the pitchers, just thinking about Matthew Liebertor in the context of who is he comparable to in value right now in a redraft league. That way, if you're out there thinking about possible drops or just is he an upgrade or how much should I bid, those kinds of questions are are all very fair questions. Are we looking at Liebertor in the same light as we're looking at maybe Mackenzie Gore, Bailey Ober? Is that kind of a, an appropriate placement Jordan Montgomery is that it's like that's a five to eight dollar range rest of season in terms of projected value yeah I think that's not bad in fact I think Montgomery is a decent comp Montgomery without having to deal with the AL East and yeah. Yankee Stadium and, and, and but added risk of going back down yeah so yeah I you know like three four dollar guy I think I might keep Montgomery over him just because uh, it's more of a sure thing. I'd lean towards like NFBC where it's like, you know, am I, would I be dropping Montgomery who I believe is a rosterable player for who someone who might be more of a streamer? So there's a bit of a line there, but. We got a request to bring back prospect of the week. And I think we sort of lost prospect of the week when the minor league season started late a year ago, and it just kind of threw us out of our routine. So yeah, we're bringing back Prospect of the Week. It's a great segment. And we'll even get the Eno jingle in there at some point. It's <laughs> somewhere on my computer. I don't know where. If I ever find it, I will bring it back. But uh, the point of this is to identify players that might be a little bit overlooked. Sometimes we'll put a spotlight on a, a prospect that you've heard about for a long time if he's doing something really good or hopefully not really bad, but you never know. That could also <laughs> garner some Prospect of the Week status. But I'll kick it off. I've got Mike Burrows, a pitcher in the Pirates system, currently at double A. He's got a 32.5% K rate at that level, showing improved control. Did have some limited innings pitched last year as a result of an oblique injury that cost him some time. Uh, scouting reports point to the curveball as easily his best pitch. And there are some questions about whether or not he's going to be a starter long term because the the delivery is not uh, clean and polished the way that people like to see. But there's a chance there's three pitches here. And every time I look at a Pirates pitcher who's kind of stuck maybe in between in the eyes of scouts, I err on the side of seeing an opportunity for that pitcher to get a chance to start because they're not that close to competing again. And obviously there's a lot more long-term value if they can find a way to get that third pitch to work, to get that command at a level where they can trust Burroughs in a consistent five-inning sort of role. But probably a very gettable player if you're talking about keeper in dynasty leagues uh, where you can go ahead and stash a pitcher away who might only be you know a year or so away from getting a chance at the big league level. 
Nice. Yeah, mine, uh, I don't know actually how far away they are. Uh, they are 22 and 20, respectively. I'm, I'm going to do two. Uh, and the reason I'm going to do two is I sorted the double-A Eastern League by strikeout rate reverse, right? And you've got at the top uh, Will Brennan, um, you know, who's the 10% strikeout rate. But uh, he's got a bit of a, a softer isolated slugging. So what I wanted was uh, top 30 in strikeout rate, but a, an ISO over 200. Uh, there's about five of these players. Um, some other ones are Jover Peguero with uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, Ezekiel Tovar, but that's uh, Colorado. And I believe that's um, up in the altitude. So Aaron Schunk also being there doesn't surprise me. And then Blake Sabble, who I've never heard of. But the prospects of the week for me are Gunnar Henderson and Logan O'Hop. I'm glad and I didn't pick O'Hop because I did see him as I was going through the leaderboard. Nice. And the reason I did a, a, a two-pack is the um, less deep leagues, um, you may find uh, some Gunnar Henderson availability. He was a top 68 prospect, though. He's top 100 so if every top 100 prospect is owned, he's, he's probably gone. But he took a major step forward this year in terms of really quieting down the strikeout rate. But also, he right now has a 22% walk rate against a 17% strikeout rate and a 255 ISO. He's absolutely in the middle of that kind of breakout that I think would lead to if, you know, when they update, he could be a top 15, top 20 type prospect. You know, like he's a shortstop who's doing everything correct, is not blocked anywhere. He's 20, what is he? He's the 20 year old. He's 20 years old and double A doing this. Like this is absolutely the kind of stuff that rockets you up the, the top of the prospect list. And if you want to go get him, if you think you're rebuilding, you want to go get him before those updates put him there, then go do it because you might still get someone who thinks, eh, he's not a top 50 prospect right now because Fangrass has him 68 or whatever. This might be a guy who you wake up and he's top 15 uh, this season. So that's for like the shallow release. Logan O'Hop was not uh, was not ranked uh, in the Fangraphs top 100. He is someone that people know about. I've actually interviewed him and talked to him um, for a piece that I did on his hitting hitting coordinator. And uh, I just I thought he had a really good head on his shoulders. Um, and he was talking about pairing the kind of the analytics with. Uh, a really free flowing approach at the plate, a really kind of athletic, uh, you know, nice, uh, easy swing. And right now, uh, 11% walk rate, 17% strikeout rate, 262 ISO. It looks like it's all beautiful. He's a catcher though. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit of an asterisk. You know, they take longer. He's 22, may take him till he's 25 to debut. Uh, but um, everything looks really good. And, uh, you know, if I didn't see that C up at the top of his uh, page, I don't know that um, I would uh, tell tell you it would take three years for him to get there. Well, already at double A, it is Redding, so you got to be a little careful with the power numbers there. But there's a lot more than just that park happening in the profile, as he pointed out. And that name you mentioned kind of in passing that I think is worth highlighting a little bit is Ezekiel Tovar. Uh, I know mm -hmm. he was... Pretty, uh, pretty popular just a few weeks ago. I think it was Jeff Pontes had him in one of his write-ups over at Baseball America. He's a 20-year-old shortstop. And in the Rockies' AA affiliate is uh, Hartford. 
So I don't oh, think it's, so it's, it's not, it's not it's Colorado not, Springs. No, it's not one of the extreme environments. I mean, he's, he's young, he's controlling the strike zone. There's power, mm. there's speed. I think he's one of the biggest prospect risers of the season so far, just based on the performance age to level, uh, obviously a pretty clean path to the big leagues eventually too, once he's ready. So uh, if he happens to be out there in a league, even when you're only keeping a handful of prospects, I think there's a chance he might be the kind of high ceiling guy that you'd want to stash in that kind of format. I think Gunnar and, and Tova are like that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in the league, the pitchfork league that I'm in. What's up pitchfork? Uh, the, that league, we keep four, four uh, prospects each. And so you're always looking for someone to, in fact, uh, once we hang up, I'm going to go look at Gunnar Anderson's available <laughs> in that league. <laughs> no, like here's the key though. If you're in a league like that and you have prospects that are higher ranked and you're trying to make a move to help for this season, trade the more mm. highly regarded prospect and backfill from the wire with these guys that can move up into that top 50 range in the not so distant future, because then you're just taking advantage of what is likely to happen as more and more players graduate as new lists come out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the, in a, like in my, in that situation with the four, I, I don't value prospects highly unless they're like a top five prospect, just because you, you only get to have four that means like 50 prospects are owned in the league, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, good luck. <laughs> Let's get to a few mailbag questions here. This one comes from Ryan. He's got four hitters. He wants to know who is most likely to figure it out going forward. He's got Alex Verdugo, Jesse Winker, Brian Reynolds, we discussed a few weeks ago, and Tyler O'Neill, who just recently landed on the IL. So, uh, and this is a 10-team mixed league that Ryan happens to be playing in. So there's definitely some drop potential at the bottom end of this group if there are some long-term warning signs that you see. I think since we last spoke about Reynolds, not a whole lot has changed with his line. I think he's been a little bit better, but it's still... He struck out a little bit less, but I, I still see him... I think he's 260, you know, 14 homers the rest of the way. Yeah, it's still a concern there, but as far as the other guys go, Verdugo, O'Neill, Winker, I think we talked about Winker a little bit on our last episode. Uh, how do you compare Verdugo and O'Neill? to Winker and Reynolds. Uh, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at uh, Winker's projections there for 260-14. You know, <laughs> you're really, he's he's really stuck here. These these guys are very similar now. You know, uh, Verdugo's projections are for 280-10. Um, you know, which is slightly better in one way and slightly worse in another. I mean, they, these guys are all really... <laughs> I would just try to hold on to O'Neill. He's the only one that still has the opportunity kind of to clear that group. Wow, and if yeah. you can put O'Neill on the IL and stash him, then maybe you can put off this question to later because O'Neill just went on the IL. So maybe he has the ability to put O'Neill on the IL and give those other guys a couple more weeks and then drop one of them. Because those guys are way more equivalent to me than O'Neill. Well, I think the thing that stands out to me too, again, is environment and what these guys are doing the cardinals scoring more runs than expected we talked about that on the 3-0 show and they're doing that despite the slow start from o'neill o'neill has run a little bit other guys in this group mostly don't run they run like verdugo runs a little winker doesn't run at all reynolds can run a little but you're getting more run potential more rbis more raw power and probably more steals from o'neill even though it's been a, a rough start so far so he's kind of First, in terms of likelihood of being the most valuable, figuring it out, however you want to describe it. Then there's a gap. I think I'm more likely to hold, if I could only hold one of Verdugo, 
Winker, and Reynolds. I think Verdugo is the player I'd actually be most likely to hold in a shallow league. Because his batting average is the like the standout ability, his possible batting average. I mean, it's 220 right now. Keeps putting balls in play. And it, yeah. I think compared to the Pirates and Mariners, you're getting more support from that lineup. And if we keep... Mm. If we keep compressing... Or you're potentially getting more supply. I mean, you, yeah. You should. But if you keep compressing homers and steals as much as we have, then runs and RBIs on average are where you're going to get an advantage. And mm. I think that just slightly favors Verdugo. Um, I think I'm Winker over Reynolds if I'm choosing between those two. But that's probably the smallest gap of any two players on the list right now. Winker's power process stats are not good right now. It's so frustrating, man. The timing, the timing of that relative to NL labor will always stick in my craw. I'm never because uh. <laughs> I mean, if you wouldn't have been available if the move had happened before we we had our draft, and I would have would have got a different twenty dollar player, and probably would be better, most likely. Even though, <laughs> as you learned earlier this week, that was a team where I did a lot of things wrong. Uh, but thanks a lot for that question, Ryan. Uh, Jake wants to know with Statcast and X stats, can you still use X stats as a comparative tool, just looking at players side by side, even if the X stats themselves are not calibrated for this terrible run environment that we're currently in. Yeah, I was I was just trying to point this out, and it's kind of it's hard to it was it might be easier in this format to kind of explain what I'm saying than in like a chat answer. But the what I'm trying to say is it's I, I wouldn't look at one player page and say, oh, this guy minus 30 XBA boom biggie like let's pick this guy up because everyone's minus 30 but if you do a ranking of xba minus ba and you see oh he's minus 30 league average is minus 15 he is a little bit you know more unlucky than league average that still i think has some signal in it so yes the way that you put it that they're ranking they're they're ranking relative to the league in those stats uh, I think is still somewhat meaningful, yeah. Looking at it, too, just from the four players we were just talking about in the last question, sorting by ex-slug, Alex Verdugo, clearly number one, Winker Reynolds at two and three, and there's a drop before O'Neal. Um, so that's kind of interesting, too, just as another little way you can look at some O'Neal of the underlying the numbers. O'Neal has ex-slug. Very surprising. Hmm. He has the highest barrel rate, but the lowest ex-slug. Uh, well, X-Slug uh, actually takes into consideration contact rate, right? Because it's a slugging number. Right. But maybe it over-penalizes the high-whiff players like O'Neal? Possibly. Maybe. I mean, what would his X-ISO be is another question, right? <laughs> yeah. We're not expecting a, a high batting average from, from, uh, from Tyler O'Neal. I guess it'd be 161 doing the quick math because the numbers are right in front of me. And... Reynolds That's a would be one seventy for me. Yeah, that seems low. And projected for a two twenty two with an eleven percent bell rate. This is Tyler O'Neill we're talking about. Uh, I still uh, like. I, I I hope that the IL the, the what the IL list for me has been for for Tyler O'Neill is uh, a lifeline, because not only do I not have to consider dropping him now. But now, uh, when he comes back, depending on your league rules, you might be able to get a look, mm-hmm. you know, and see see how he looks coming back. Maybe a, a minor league look. I'm not out on Tyler O'Neill. Not, nah, I'm not. I'm not out. I was I was struggling to pay full freight back on draft day because it was a 
a new career high in terms of where he was being drafted, but I also mm-hmm. wasn't sitting here saying, this can't possibly work, he's going to fall apart. And so, therefore, no victory lap, just more of a, yeah, I like some other guys a little more than, than O'Neal. Well, I, I, what I ended up doing was that, um, you know, there was obviously risk with the, the strikeout rate. I ended up taking him in leagues where he fell a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I only have like two or three shares, but uh, I, I, listen, I'm with you. I know it's it's tough to look at that name in the lineup and just be like, you know, I've had people adding me that he's going to be in the minors. I It's still quality contact when he makes contact, and he struck out 30% of la- last year too. I just see someone who's stuck in between the fastball and the slider right now. So Austin Riley used to be stuck between the fastball and the slider, and he's obviously not stuck anymore. So... <laughs> The other question Jake had that was related is if you're looking at something like XWOBA and you're looking at the rolling averages that we've been talking about a lot in recent weeks, is it still meaningful despite the lack of calibration? If you see the trend going in the right direction, is that still something you want to get behind? I guess so. And I did want to point out that I think that I believe a little bit more in the signal in XBA than I would be in X slugging because um, XBA is about those line drive angles. You know what I mean? And X slugging is about those power, uh, those power launch angles. And we're going to, we're going to see a larger problem in the launch angle, in the launch angle and the power angles. So X Wolba kind of takes the two of them and smushes them together. Pretty interesting too. looking back at the four outfielders from a few minutes ago, Jesse Winker, 294 XBA Verdugo, 287 Reynolds, 249 O'Neill. 220. So the other little separator, if you're trying to sift through a problem similar uh, to that one. Uh, One more question to get to. This one came in from Rob, more or less just a question about what we're seeing from Julio Urias now, because there were some early warning signs. Has anything changed in the underlying numbers with the pitching model or with performance that would uh, make us any more or less confidence in Julio Urias than we were probably about a month or so ago when he first came up as someone that might not be as valuable as people thought he would be back on draft day. Yeah, there's still some worrying signs in terms of like the velo and stuff. But when he his first two starts, 87 stuff plus 94 stuff plus uh, a good example of why three starts is, is important because the third start was 116 stuff plus, And ever since then, he stayed above 100. So um, he has managed to keep his locations really uh, strong all the way through, but he's been, uh, you know, basically a 110 pitching plus guy for the last five starts. Um, I'm, I was always a cautious hold uh, because I believed in him so much, and because I he hadn't really cautious that that three that pre pitch special. He was really affected, I think, poorly by the lockdown and not being able to be uh, in touch with the coaching staff. Um, but right now, uh, his fastball is an 83 stuff plus changeup 109 curveball. It's a sweeper. It's one of the better ones in the league. It's 137. So he's got two plus secondaries. The fastball is located enough to make it work. I do think his dynasty status is affected by this because that fastball, as you can tell, the, the stuff on that is... Uh, a lot softer now. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about a guy who has had labrum surgery and kept a nice 94 mile an hour, uh, 95 mile an hour velo uh, for five years and now has dropped below 93, which is below average for the league. So I think 
in terms of the rest of this year, I'm I'm pretty happy with what he's done, and I think he's going to be fine. Uh, I think the projections are actually uh, a little bit too pessimistic about him. But in terms of dynasty value, I do think he's taken a hit. You know, I also am looking at Rias and, and seeing he's a free agent after the end of next season. I don't think the Dodgers are extending him. I think he's a guy they're going to let walk. Mm-hmm. There's enough long-term concern here, even if you believe he's a top 20, top 25 pitcher with ease the rest of the way. I think you can certainly make that case. Like, what if he comes back next year and he's he's sitting 96? I would be like, oh, that's good news. I would also be like, um, can he sustain it? Is it, is it good for him? <laughs> yeah, just a, a really tough pitcher to make the, the five-plus-year commitment that it's going to take to probably get him in free agency once he gets there. Look at what happened with Lazardo. Like it was really nice that we got all that extra view though, and it, it did bump him into playable status, but uh, it was tough on his arm. Massive age gap here, but just thinking about multi-pitch guys that locate really well and, and had a lot of success with that approach. I mean, his former teammate, Hinjin Ryu, is that is that the second version of Urias as we get further into his career? Is that the type of pitcher that he should more or less try to be? I mean, if you're lucky, Adam Wainwright. You know, because or, or like a Rich Hill with slightly better command and other pitches. I don't know. Like he has one great breaking ball. So there is there are stuff. There's stuff I like about it. But in terms of like remaining a top 20, you know, top 15 type pitcher, I, I don't know if you do that, you know, once you start having a 92 mile an hour fastball, for example. I think there's something with Urias, though, right now where his trade value in fantasy, his reputation is still above what he actually is right now, even with some more encouraging stuff numbers over it's the a, last it's four or five starts. It's an interesting sell high in dynasties, right? Like it's I think it's, it's a better might time, be a time to, cash to like out. Yeah. Maybe you could go get like a a Corbin Carroll, you know, like we've been Oof. talking about you know, maybe you could go get like a really nice hitting prospect, you know. If you're in a dynasty league and you can trade Urias straight up for Corbin Carroll right now, I think you should do it. That'd be it's not a bad one. That'd be and a even fun if trade. you trade him for like a Gunnar Henderson, you know, plus a, a young major league or something, you know, like I, it like you you would shoot yourself in the foot a little bit. So you'd have to consider your, your what your how competitive you are this year. But yeah, I just I I see a guy that is not likely to be a top ten starting pitcher again when I look at Urias right now. Doesn't mean he's bad. Just means that. We've seen the very best of him, and it might be more of a long-term future in that SP2, SP3 range as opposed to having that fantasy ace status that he had for a little while. So take that for what it's worth. Hopefully it is in some way helpful. I I am glad I don't have him all over the place because I think it's going to be a little more of a sweat than we anticipated at the beginning of the season. If you got questions for a future episode, you can send those our way via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com, or drop them in the comment section under this video on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button on this video and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd appreciate it if you took a minute to leave us a nice rating and review. And if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one to dollar a month at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening.